It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study and welcome to the virtual bible study for september 13th 2007 thank you for joining us on this important program my name is jacob gwynn i'm joined by my father greg gwynn hello dad Jacob, good to be with you on Thursday night for the virtual Bible study. And it is good to be with you, and it's we're glad that you have joined us. We look forward to your participation on the program tonight. The number to call is toll-free, 877-381-4567, or email us your questions or comments to questions at collegeview.com. We have an important study for tonight. We want to talk about the health and wealth doctrine a lot of preachers out there telling us if we'll follow them, we'll be wealthy and healthy and everything will be great. Yeah, Jacob, I think that uh, this goes by several different terminologies. I think the one that we refer to it most often as the health and wealth gospel or the health and wealth gospel, uh, doctrine. But I've also heard of other people referring to it as the prosperity gospel, uh, the name it and claim it concept positive confession is another expression and there's and and i was as i was looking for some information today studying this there's there's a group called word of faith or word faith that believe this idea and basically the idea of it is that god desires for all of his followers to be materially prosperous and to live a healthy fulfilled life and and the idea is that if you're a true Christian, all you have to do is ask for these things, and and it will be granted to you. And 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 of course, the flip side of that coin is that if you're not enjoying these benefits, then you either haven't asked for them, uh, or there's some sin in your life that's keeping God from bestowing these blessings on you. But if you're doing the right things and you want wealth, you just ask for it and you'll get it. You want good health, you just ask for it, you will have it. And that's really part of God's plan, that he wants his His uh, people to be healthy and wealthy. Yeah, I guess is it uh, maybe a little bit of a variant of the Christian scientist movement? Uh, I wonder if it is. Side? I wonder if it is. Uh, there's one of the popular proponents of this is a man named Kenneth Hagin. Uh, and he, in a book entitled Seven Things You Should Know About Divine Healing, he says, quote, I am fully convinced I would die saying it is so, that it is the plan of our Father God in his great love and his great mercy that no believer should ever be sick, that every believer should live his full lifespan down here on the earth, and that every believer should finally just fall asleep in Jesus. Uh, I read in another place, and I didn't footnote it, Jacob. I read another place where he said, I, I haven't had a headache in 46 years. If I had one, I wouldn't tell you because I don't think I have them. <laughs> uh, and that, that's sort of the idea of denying the, the, any physical ailment, denying any problem. Where well, We have a lot of quotes from those who are proclaiming this. John Hagee said on the Praise-a-thon on the Trinity Broadcasting Network, November 5th, 2004, Jesus was not poor. 
Jesus had a nice house. John one thirty eight says that Jesus turned to those that were following him and said, Come with me. And they said, Where dwellest thou? He said, Come and see. And Jesus took the whole crowd home with him to stay in his house. That meant it was a big house. Jesus wore fine clothes. John 19.23 says he had a seamless robe. Roman soldiers gambled for it at the foot of the cross. It was a designer original. It was valuable enough for them to want it. And then there are Christians that have a poverty complex that says, well, I feel guilty about having nice things. Jesus didn't. That is, Jesus didn't feel guilty for being a rich man is what John Hagee says. And uh, those are the kind of things that you hear from these preachers. I wonder how, now, that, that just strikes me, Jay. You read a quote there that I haven't heard before, but that just strikes me. How would you harmonize that view with uh, what Jesus said himself in John, or excuse me, Matthew 8, verse 20? The foxes have holes and the birds there have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Uh, I just can't quite imagine how you could argue that Jesus was a wealthy individual. Well, John Hagee goes on on February 25th, 2004 on the Bible Answer Man. I think that's with Hank Hanegraaff. He said, the anointing will do these things. Luke 4, verse 8 says, he was anointed. he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. What's the good news to the poor? The good news to the poor is this. Christ took our poverty at the cross and gave you the riches of Abraham. Brother, that's enough to make a Baptist get in the aisle and start dancing. If you have the anointing, you don't have the curse of poverty. Okay, that's what they're saying. What we want to discuss in our study tonight, Jacob, is is that legitimate and is that true? Is what they're saying accurate to the scriptures concerning the idea that if you become a Christian and if you're a faithful child of God, you just won't have any problems? John Hagee says poverty is caused by sin and disobeying the word of God. And so the televangelist and those who preach the health and wealth doctrine would tell you that if you're sinning, you're poor. If you're doing what God wants you to, you'll be rich. Here's one from a lady named Marilyn Hickey. She says, what do you need? Start creating it. Start speaking about it. Start speaking it into being. Speak to your billfold. Say, you big, thick billfold full of money. Speak to your checkbook. Say, you checkbook you. You've never been so prosperous since I owned you. You're just jammed full of money. That's name it, claim it. That's what go. that's what they're saying. Just say it so and it is so, or it will be so if you just claim it. Name it, claim it. All right. How about Benny Hinn? I'm sure we've seen Benny Hinn on uh, the television. I think he's a blasphemous man myself. He says poverty is from the devil and that God wants all Christians prosperous. Say after me, all of you, everybody say it. The wealth of the wicked is mine. One more time. One more time. Say it again. He says the wealth of the wicked is mine. Uh, here's Joel Olstein. I think a lot of people probably seen yep. Joel Olstein. Yep. He's a popular preacher smooth and author. Smooth talking preacher. Yeah, he's smooth talker. He says, I think God wants us to be prosperous. I think he wants us to be happy. I think he wants us to enjoy our lives. Uh, so he, he, God wants us to be prosperous. As Joyce Meyer says, who would want, who would want something where you're miserable, broken, ugly, and have to muddle through till you get to heaven? In other words, denying that that's what God wants for us. Another man, Kirby John Caldwell, said, God wants you to own land. The entire Old Testament is all about land. Land represents what, uh, land represents that God is with you and God has blessed you. Kenneth Copeland, uh, wrote a book, The Laws of, of Prosperity, and said, you must realize that it is God's will for you to prosper. This is available to you, and frankly, it would be stupid of you not to partake of it. 
So, I mean, it's up to you. You want it, you can have it. It's what God wants for you. Here's an un- another from Benny Hinn, and this is from the Praise the Lord broadcast in 1990. I went back there, the reference is. Look, listen to what Benny Hinn says. I'm sick and tired about hearing about streets of gold. I don't need gold in heaven. I've got to have it now. I mean, when I get to glory, all my bills will be paid, brother. I won't have bills in glory. i got to have it here. You say, well, Benny Hinn, isn't it wonderful to have streets of gold in heaven? Well, of course, but if I hear the thing one more time of how it will be and how it was, I'm going to kick somebody. So he, well, he there's no got to have it now. Got to have that gold now. Hey, here's one, Jacob. This one, uh, this one. If it wasn't so sad, it'd just be absolutely funny. A guy named Charles Fillmore of the Unity School of Christianity wrote his rendition of the 23rd Psalm. Now this is this is just blasphemy, but listen to it. The Lord is my banker; my credit is good. He maketh me to lie down in the consciousness of omnipresent abundance. He gives, he giveth me the key to his strong box. He restoreth my faith in his riches. He guideth me in the paths of prosperity for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk in the very shadow of debt, I shall not, I shall fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thou preparest a way for me in the presence of the collector. Thou fillest my wallet with plenty. My measure runneth over. Surely goodness and plenty will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall do business in the name of the Lord forever. There you go. Unbelievable. Uh, and there's, there's apparently a lot of them out there because we did some pretty quick searches and found an awful lot of indication people were spreading that kind of stuff uh, uh, in the religious world. Yeah, here's one from Gloria Copeland. She's the wife of Kenneth Copeland. She says, give $10 and receive 1000 Give 1000 and receive 100000 Give one house and receive 100 houses or a house worth 100 times as much. Give one airplane and receive 100 times the value of, of the airplane. In short, Mark 10, verse 30 is a very good deal. You know, this is pretty amazing. Uh, actually, if that was true, what right-thinking person would not? If you could give a 1000 and get a 100000 return on a $1,000 investment, I mean, atheists would be lining up to do that, wouldn't they? I mean, what, what kind of a uh, financial counselor would be able to indicate to you a, a return at that magnitude these people, who who are these people, and 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 why aren't they why aren't they able to run the stock market if they can guarantee those kind of returns? Why have a stock market if they can guarantee those kind of returns? Here's one from Robert Tilton. You know that name? Oh yeah. He said, "Being poor is a sin when God promises prosperity. New house, new car—that's chicken feed. That's nothing to compare to what God wants to do for you." He says it's a sin to be poor. Isn't that something? Uh, so this is the this is the idea that we're wanting to investigate, and and I hope that we've illustrated that it is a pretty prominent doctrine out there in the world. People are teaching this health and wealth gospel that God wants you to be healthy and wealthy, and that all you have to do is just claim it for yourself, and you can have it. All right, here's one from Creflo Dollar. You ever heard seen him? I have. I have. Yeah, that's a good name for a televangelist. Last name Dollar. Creflo Dollar says, well, you need to hear about money because you ain't going to have no love and joy and peace until you get some money. It's all tied to money here on the in this doctrine that's being preached so much. Yeah, and actually they're... They're using money as the indicator as to whether or not you're blessed by God. That if you if you don't have money, there must be some problem. And if you do, then it's a sign God is with you. And so I guess God is really liking Bill Gates uh, and uh, Warren Buffett and 
name the other richest men in the world, I guess they really uh, have got a connection with God, if that's the case. Well, you would think so. Uh, what does the Bible say about that, though? I think we're seeing some glaring contradictions. Let us know your thoughts about this doctrine at 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. We're looking forward to hearing from you on the program tonight. Jacob, we sent out a couple questions earlier today to those on our polling list, and we got, we've got some response. We want to get some more response from people who are listening tonight. I hope that those who are listening, or, well, I, I shouldn't say that. I, I, I imagine that those who are listening tonight agree with us that these doctrines are not accurate to the scriptures. Now, if you disagree with us, that's fine. We're, and we're especially glad you're listening and we'd love to hear from you. If you disagree, we're taking the position that these are, who are teaching this notion are in error. Um, and we want to look to the scriptures to show that that's an erroneous interpretation. But, uh, if you disagree with us and you and you think there is justification for this view in the Bible, send us an email or get on the phone and call us toll-free, 877-381-4567. We'd love to hear from you. But we sent out earlier today to those on our polling list two questions. Number one, what do you think would be the strongest argument against the idea that God promises financial prosperity to all Christians? Uh, and then the second question was just like it, only about health. What do you think would be the strongest argument against the idea that God promises physical health to all Christians? So those are two, those are the two questions we put out. We've got some feedback already. We want some more. If you have not sent in an answer, send us an answer. How would you, how would you approach these people teaching the health and wealth gospel? What would you say when they say, God wants you to be wealthy. Just name it and claim it. It's yours. All you have to do is want it and you've got it. Just say it so and it will be so about physical wealth, uh, physical health or material wealth. Uh, what, what passages of scripture and what biblical arguments would you use to show these folks that that is just simply not true to the scripture? We want to hear from you. Give us your input. Uh, the email is questions at college view. Remember college view, C O L L E G E V U E college view.com questions at college view.com. And the phone number is eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Let us know your thoughts. We'll take a break and be right back after this. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. Hi, my name is Mike Johnson. I'm a member here at the College of View Church of Christ. Have you ever heard someone say that the members of the Church of Christ are too legalistic? Generally, people say this when we say that we must be careful to follow all the commands that God has given us. When we say, God says we must do this, or God doesn't command us to do that, people respond with, the members of the Church of Christ are too legalistic. Well, while it may be impossible to know exactly what people mean when they make this accusation, if they are accusing us of being legalistic because we say that we should follow all the instructions that God has given us, then that accusation is correct. But let me ask you this. Which of the commands that God has given us should we ignore? Can we pick and choose which commands we follow, or must we follow them all? Jesus said we have to follow all the commands of God when he said in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? We want to call Jesus our Lord, so we try to follow all the commandments that he has given us. We don't in any way think that following God's commands earns our salvation, but we do think it is necessary to be pleasing to Him. Here at the College of You Church of Christ, we're trying to follow every command that God has given us. If, as a result, some people call us legalistic, then so be it. We think it's what God calls being righteous. I'm James Buchanan from Columbia, Tennessee, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. Use your internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program. And welcome back to the program. We're glad that you're listening this week to the virtual Bible study, and we hope that you're benefiting from the discussion. Give us your thoughts at 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. 
Uh, I, I just got an email, Jacob, from somebody that knows me, and they said, "I've seen your car. What kind of sins are you? What kind of sins are you covering up in your life?" Well, <laughs> I, I didn't think my car looked that bad, but yeah. it's certainly not. It's certainly not a new Cadillac. So there you go. Well, you know, yeah. if, if you don't have a Cadillac, in uh, according to these people, it would be an indication that uh, there's something wrong in your life. Jacob, before we get a little further into our study, I wanted to say hello to a fellow who sent us an email today all the way from Finland. Uh, says he loves to listen to the virtual Bible study and has picked us up over there in Finland. Jay or Jacob in Finland sent us an email. And uh, we're glad to know that you're listening over there and glad that you found the virtual Bible study. Thanks for sending us a note. Keep says listening. he listens to us on his cell phone over in Finland. Isn't that something? Yeah, it is amazing. That's amazing on the other yeah. side of the world. Thank you for listening over there. And if you have any questions or comments from Finland, we'd love to hear from you again. So thank you for your email. And if you've had trouble listening to us live, Dad, we get comments occasionally about people who say they cannot listen to us live. They listen to us in the archive, but they cannot catch us live. We've made a few changes to our streaming uh, configuration, and hopefully it will be more compatible with more computers. So if you've been waiting till after the program is over to listen, you might try to listen to us live. Hopefully you'll have better success in listening to us now that we've made a few changes. Yeah, we've had a few people who just could not catch the live link, but we could always listen in the archives. So hopefully this change will make it possible for you to listen to the live stream. And, you know, Dad, we talked about hearing from Finland. If you're out there, send us an email. Let us know where you are, where you're listening, and uh, we'd look forward to hearing from you. Looking forward to hearing from you on the program tonight at 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. We're talking about the prosperity doctrine, the health and wealth doctrine, the name it and claim it movement that's very common with televangelists today and it's clear to see why it would be popular with them they want you to send in your money they want you to think that if you'll follow them you'll be prosper prosperous but uh, what does the bible say about that we want to compare that uh, on the program tonight let's start out by talking about the wealth part jacob that uh, you know does god want us to be wealthy and i think that we can see that a lot of the servants of god uh a lot of the most faithful people of God throughout time have not always been materially prosperous. In fact, we could talk about Jesus himself. We already quoted Matthew chapter 8, verse 20, where Jesus said, The foxes have holes and the birds there have their nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. In Luke chapter 9. Now, wait a minute, though. Didn't they say that Jesus had a big fat house to live in? Well, that's what they said, but that's not what he said. Okay. Uh, and then in Luke chapter 9 and verse 58, Luke 9, verse 58, Jesus said to them again, this is Luke's account, same statement, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. So that just doesn't seem to line up with their claim that he wore designer clothes and had a, 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 a big fine house. Now, they have big fine houses, but Jesus apparently did not have a big fine house from what uh, we read there in Luke 9, verse 58, but he wasn't alone. You know, other followers of Christ and other people who are interested in being pleasing to God did not have, you know, the fine luxuries and the nice homes to live in. That's right. And again, it wasn't just Jesus, but we could point out other faithful people of God who have really uh, uh, been poor in this world's goods many times. Uh, we could uh, reference the Apostle Paul, who in Philippians chapter 2 said in verse, or excuse me, Philippians chapter 3, beginning verse 7, 
What things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things, but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. So Paul, by all indications, prior to being a servant of God, while he was actually persecuting Christians, was a wealthy and influential person and gave that up. He said he suffered the loss of all things. Now, how could that be so? If God's, if you're faithful to God, God will bless you with financial abundance. Well, what about Paul? We would, we would have, he was certainly a faithful one of God, or was he not? Maybe he wasn't. Maybe that's why he lost everything. According to them, there must have been some sin in his life that he wasn't wasn't dealing with because he lost everything he said compare this account that paul gives of himself in second corinthians 11 when he's talking beginning in verse 23 about the things that he had been through for christ in verse 27 of second corinthians 11 compare this with what the televangelists are telling us about our prosperity paul says that he was in weariness and painfulness in watchings often in hunger and thirst and fastings often in cold and nakedness nakedness hunger thirst doesn't sound like those that are telling us that we should be prosperous and that it's a sin if we're not financially prosperous. Let's go up to Ohio and welcome Jim to the virtual Bible study. Hello, Jim. Welcome to the program. Are you there, Jim? All right. Go check that phone if you would, and uh, hopefully we'll get Jim back with us. All right. Have you got that phone turned on it, there? It, it is on, yeah. Okay. Uh, we hope we get Jim connected there with our telephone call. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll work we'll, on we'll that. Work on that. But again, we're, what we're pointing out is the just notable contradiction between what these folks, these health and wealth proponents are teaching and what we're seeing in the scriptures concerning God's faithful people. Many of them, not just a few, but many of them suffered and were and were poor in this world's good. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 34 the Hebrew writer says, "Ye had compassion of me and my bonds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye you have in heaven a better and enduring substance." New Testament Christians had their goods spoiled, that is, taken from them. They lost. They did not prosper. They lost financially in order to be faithful to God. Certainly did. And, you know, a lot of people in the first century uh, would have a problem with these preachers today that are telling us that we should be wealthy. It uh, doesn't seem to be the image that we see of the first century Christians. All right, let's try Jim again. Jim in Ohio. Are you there, Jim? Are you there, Jim? Hello, Jim. Still having problems with Jim, so we'll keep trying that, and uh, hopefully we can get him on tonight. Jacob, uh, while we keep working on that, let me let me take over here while you work on that for a minute. But uh, uh, I would add to the mix, and we've talked about Jesus. We gave example of Jesus. He was not prosperous, as they claim, but rather a poor man. Paul, who lost everything in order to be faithful uh, to serve God. New Testament Christians who suffered the spoiling of their goods. They didn't get richer. They got poor. But we could even go back into the Old Testament and talk about notable men of faith in the Old Testament times who often were not well-to-do. or well, Some were. I mean, there were some who were wealthy. Abraham, apparently a wealthy man. Let's go up to Ohio while you're, while okay, you're working on that. I think we got Jim now. Jim, are you there? Hello, Jim. Jim, are you there? Well, I thought I had Jim. All right, go ahead. Um, 
as I say, some were potentially wealthy, but others were not. Uh, in Hebrews 11, chapter, uh, in the 11th chapter, verse 37, speaking of Old Testament heroes of the faith, said they were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with a sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. And so we would add to the mix that even people, uh, faithful people of God in the Old Testament times suffered loss. And so uh, we're just not seeing any confirmation, not any verification of this wealth gospel, that God wants you to be wealthy and that promises you to have wealth. There's just not any indication of that. That's right. It certainly is not. I'm going to try Jim one more time, and if not, we'll try and figure out some other way to get Jim on. Jim, are you there? Do you hear us, Jim? No word from Jim tonight. Jim, are you there? All right. Well, we'll try something else with Jim. Go ahead and continue your your thoughts there. All right. I think probably at the heart of this, and, and, and a big part of the problem is that these people have financial prosperity as a primary goal and an important concern for them when, in fact, the Scriptures tell us that as people of God, financial prosperity should not be a primary concern or a top priority. In First Timothy chapter 6, beginning verse 6, Paul writes, Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And so Paul's saying, you know, that if you have that as your goal, and in other words, notice he didn't say it was a problem just for the rich, but he said it was a problem for those who want to be rich. Uh, you fall into many uh, temptations and a snare, many foolish and hurtful lusts that drown men in destruction perdition. I would say that these uh, preachers on the radio and TV who are claiming this wealth gospel uh, are putting people into temptation and a snare. Well, it looks like they have succumbed to that temptation as they desire to be rich and uh, and talk people into giving them their money. That's exactly right. In Philippians chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3, beginning verse, uh, well, we already read that in chapter 3. Look at chapter 4, Philippians 4, verse 11. Paul said, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. So Paul said what matters is being in a right relationship with God and our physical conditions and our physical status is not the important thing. And I believe that's the way that we need to look at it. Jay, we got some emails where some folks dealt with these uh, concepts. Um, uh, let's see. Sue in Mount Pleasant, Tennessee, writes, I think a casual reading of the scriptures will tell anyone that if you are a servant of the Lord, you will suffer the same problems that life gives to all. The Apostle Paul had physical problems. The Lord told him he'd have to suffer. He also had times when he was almost destitute, even asking for a cloak in prison. Most of God's prophets lived in a very poor life, running from evil kings and fearing for their lives many times. 
Yes, there were some people of God who had wealth, Abraham, Job, Moses, while in the king's palace. But for the most part, those who are mentioned in the Bible had very little of what this life has to offer in the way of riches or social standing. Our reward comes at the end. We are promised a crown of life and a beautiful life in heaven if we're faithful until the end. I think Sue's exactly right, Jacob. I think that we're looking for the eternal reward and not a temporal reward in this life necessarily. Certainly so. You know, what a shame it would be for all of the people who are hard up in this life if Jesus had told them that they were sinning and they were doing something wrong for their uh, lack of physical prosperity. Let's take a break. And hopefully during this break, we can work on Jim and get him on the line with us. And hopefully we can hear from you at 877-381-4567 or questions at collegeview.com. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. Me again, Mike Smith at the College of Church of Christ. Let me ask you some more questions. Do you remember when the pulpit was used for the purpose of convicting sinners and teaching them how to be saved? Are you tired of preachers who seem more inclined to entertain their audience than to teach them the truth? Does it seem that sermons you are, te- you are hearing each week could as easily be given in a PTA meeting or a social club? Do you remember when sin was called sin, and at the end of the sermon you knew, by book, chapter, and verse, what the preacher was talking about and why? Well, we're still preaching the old Jerusalem gospel that you read about in your Bible. We invite you to investigate for yourself. Please come and see you this Sunday at the College of Church of Christ at 9.30 a.m. on Hampshire Pike. Hello, everyone. I'm Monty, a member of the College View Church of Christ. So if you've been hearing all about the College View Church of Christ on the virtual Bible study and are interested in finding out more about the church, but you live hundreds of miles away from Columbia, Tennessee, and can't come and visit with the congregation to find out more, there's no reason to fear. After all, we live in the 21st century. Here's what you can do to find out more about the College View Church of Christ. First, why don't you check out our website while you're listening to the virtual Bible study? You'll find important information about the church there, including bulletin articles there on various subjects, and can even listen to sermons that have been presented at the College View Church in the past. Secondly, if you have questions about the church or about any Bible teaching, why don't you send an email to us and let us know how we can help. Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. That address, once again, is questions at collegeview.com. We can even have a personal Bible study with you over email if you desire. And finally, if you would rather talk with someone in person, give us a call at 931-381-4567. That's 931-381-4567. You can call this number anytime. If you don't get an answer, leave a message and we'll call you back as soon as we can. We're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study and hope to hear from you soon. Quit checking your email. The commercials are over and the virtual Bible study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. And welcome back to the virtual Bible study. We are glad again that you've joined us on the program tonight. We're going to try another way here and see if we can't get Jim in Ohio with us. Jim, are you there this time? Jim, are you there? Boy, it's not the phone. I thought it was the phone. Go ahead and and continue there, and I'm working on this. Okay. We got. One, let me get one more email in here before we move to another part of our study. Um, and uh, uh, Mark, how about now, Jim? <laughs> ah, That's not boy. working, Jake. Jacob, that is not working. I'm going to be bald by the time this program's over. I'm going to pull all my hair out. All right, go ahead. Okay, uh, we got another email from Mark and Rhonda in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. 
And Somebody's playing games over here. It says, uh, look at the examples in the New Testament. The Christians of Macedonia were gen- were giving generously in their extreme poverty, Second Corinthians 8, and being commended for it. The widow's might in Mark 12 and her commendation, commendation to the poor Christians in Smyrna in Revelation. So there's a, plenty of examples of Christians who were poor but commended. They, in other words, they were right. They were in the right. They were doing the right thing, but they were still in poverty. And then... Uh, they, Mark and Rhonda go on to say warnings to the rich about the dangers that could arise from wealth. That's certainly true. We want to think about that before we're done with our program tonight. Plenty of warnings about the dangers of wealth and the biblical emphasis on spiritual versus the physical in all circumstances, such as Paul praying for the removal of his thorn in the flesh, but accepting God's grace. Jesus himself was very poor, we are told. So I think uh, that that email is right on the mark as well. And uh, in line with what we think the Bible is teaching on this subject. So uh, we appreciate Mark and Rhonda for sending that in from Murfreesboro. I think I can hear him now. Jim, are you there? Hello, Jim. I'm getting audio on this end. I just can't hear Jim uh, through his phone, I believe. Maybe maybe on Jim's end. Jim, one more time. Going once, going twice. So- sorry, Jim. Appreciate you trying tonight. Uh, we'll just have to try again next time. All right. Okay. Okay. Sorry, Jim. Sorry, we couldn't get you on. We got a technical problem there. We're gonna have to work on. We're not be able to get phone calls. So, forget about calling in for the rest of the night. Well, maybe maybe it's just Jim. Oh, there's Jim. Jim, are you there? I thought I heard a laugh. I, I thought I heard something too. Yeah. We got a problem. You know, there there's a there's a kink in the line. I think somewhere over Kentucky. Not getting down here from Ohio tonight. There's a. You think it's trying to funnel through a narrow spot in the wire? I think uh, maybe. Uh, one of those televangelists has cut our wire because they don't want the secret getting out. I've uh, got an email here from uh, Don in Antioch, Tennessee. And Don says, answering both of these questions is almost like standing in the field in the middle of a thunderstorm with someone standing next to you and arguing that it isn't really raining. Where would you start in trying to explain that it really is raining when both of you are soaked through and through? When something is so obvious, where would you even start in making an argument? So, uh he he says, you know, this this point is so obvious. Why can't they see it? Then he goes on to say, but if I had to argue the point with someone, I guess I would just hand him a Bible and walk off. Because when somebody is already in that mental state of mind, there is no way that he would be receptive to anything that you can say. So Don hasn't, doesn't give us any arguments, but he says it's just frustrating that people would make these claims. just for. And I think I agree with him. It's frustrating to, to that quote that you read earlier, Jacob, about the fellow who was saying Jacob, uh, Jesus lived in a, in a house, not just a regular house, a great big old house and he wore designer clothes he was a he was a fashion plate well i'm sort of like don where do you start with people like that when they have so obviously missed what the scriptures plainly say well you know the motivation is obvious for these televangelists they want uh, your money and they want more of it but it goes to show dad that some people will believe anything in the area of religion if it sounds good to them forget going to the bible and trying to to prove it from the scriptures They'll believe anything that you say as long as you make it sound good and what they want to hear. And so it really is a dangerous commentary on many in the religious world. And I appreciate Don for his comments tonight. We got an email from Lee in Cookville, Tennessee. It says, uh, in James, we see that God will not provide for us 
if greed and lust is our priority, James 4, verse 3, ye ask and receive not because ye ask and miss that ye may consume it on your lust. That's a good verse because these people who have the name it, claim it concept say, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, he wants you, wants you to be rich, live in a big house, drive a new car. That's what, just, just have it for the, for the joy of having it, just for the sheer pleasure of the material possession. Yeah, I think yeah. Benny Hinn, wasn't it Benny Hinn who said, I'm tired of hearing about streets of gold. I don't need gold in heaven. I gotta have it now. Yeah. Sort of sounds what like what James four verse three was talking about. That's exactly right. And then uh, goes on the email goes on to say this is similar to Simon the sorcerer who looked for gifts of the uh, who looked for gifts of the Holy Ghost for money. Uh, Acts eight eighteen when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money. And so that greedy spirit in Simon is also pointed out in this email. Thanks, Lee, for your email. I think those are right on good comments. Thank you for listening in Cookville tonight. We're glad to have your comments on the program. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Thank you, Lee. Thank you, Don, for your participation on the program tonight. I guess we'll thank Jim for his efforts to participate. Yeah, sorry, Jim. Sorry, really Jim. are yeah. sorry that we couldn't get Jim that's on. Really, that's really burning me up. Uh, yeah, and I don't know what that is. I don't know what's causing that. But I hope that we've made our point. We sort of, we've sort of dealt with half of that, Jacob. We've dealt with the wealth half of the question. Uh, let's and that's go. probably the harder part to deal with because the, the I think the health problem, we can look at that and we can find all kinds of examples. Uh, to to refute the, the the health portion of yeah well let's that let's, let's in fact, let's do that for a minute let's look at you know because I think that both of these things they go hand in hand the people who are promoting one are promoting the other uh, I read you that quote earlier from from Kenneth Hagen who said uh, the every believer should live his full lifespan here on earth and then just fall asleep in Jesus. Well, why would they fall asleep? If you just fall asleep in Jesus, that's a health problem. Isn't, it? isn't death a health problem? Last time I checked, if you die, that usually means something's wrong with your health. If you were in good health, you wouldn't die. Uh, that just doesn't fit. Uh, got an email from Randy in Jackson, Missouri, who said, uh, God sometimes uses health problems for his purposes, and we're not aware of his will in every matter. Job and Paul are good examples. They were two of the most righteous men in the Bible, yet God wanted them sick for a time and for his purpose. The other example would be that even the most righteous eventually die and almost always by illness rather than accident. Uh, so if, you, if, if you're dying, you, and as Randy says, most people die because they get sick, then that, that seems to be the ultimate failure of this, of this doctrine. Everybody's going to die ultimately, get sick and die. And so, you know, it sort of seems like a self-defeating doctrine. And I, I would agree with Randy's analysis on that. You know, Jacob, as we look to the scriptures, um, we see that there were plenty of faithful people who suffered physical ailments. Uh, some of the some of the uh, people who were with Paul, for instance, in Second Timothy, chapter four and verse twenty, Paul said, uh, uh, "Erastus abode at Corinth, but Trophimus have I left in Miletum sick." So here's one of Paul's co-workers, and he had to leave him behind as they traveled because he was sick. You know, I've used that verse before to point out that even back then in an age of miraculous healing, and we don't believe that there are miraculous healings today of the, of the nature of what we read about in the New Testament. We've talked about that on the Virgil Bible study before, and we can do it again if need be. But I think the, the scriptures clearly indicate that the age of miraculous healings have has ceased. But But here we're reading in the New Testament times when Paul had gifts of healing, and yet he didn't use them on Trophimus. He left him behind him and made him sick. 
It proves that righteous people get sick. It also proves that even back then when there were miracles of healing, they weren't they weren't just for the sake of healing people. They were always for the purpose of providing a sign or evidence. Maybe Trophimus hadn't sent in enough money to Paul. Maybe that's why he was sick. Maybe so. Uh, first Tim in First Timothy chapter five, verse twenty three, Paul speaking to Timothy, and we believe Timothy to have been an exemplary Christian of the first century age. In first Timothy five, verse twenty three, Paul said, Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine often infirmities. Timothy was often sick. He had often infirmities, the King James said. He was often sick, but he was a righteous man. Uh, How could that be so? How could this health and wealth, especially health gospel, be true when we're reading about these good people in the first century, even in the time of miracles, who had to deal with physical ailments? By the way, Jacob, just as an aside, and we've made this point before, but I couldn't read that verse without pointing out that Timothy here was told to take a little wine for a medicinal benefit. And what that proves is that his normal practice was to use no wine at all. And, you know, uh, I I would just point that out to our listeners, remind them whenever you're talking about the question of drinking and drinking uh, wine or other intoxicants, it should be pointed out that from this verse, we learn that Timothy's normal practice, and he was a faithful Christian of the first century age, his normal practice was, to drink no wine at all he had to be told to do so but the reason was he was often sick well you certainly timothy would have been living in such a way that god if god wanted everybody to be healthy would want timothy to be healthy and you know if if paul was working miracles to heal people of all of their infirmities because god just wanted everybody to be healthy certainly paul would have done a miracle for timothy that certainly was not the case with them and so we learn a lot about the prosperity doctrine and the wealth part or the health part of the health and wealth doctrine. When we look at these examples and perhaps the most glaring dad would be Paul himself. You know, he he dealt with physical problems that certainly he would not have had to deal with if these people are correct. Exactly right. I mean we've already had a couple of our emailers talking about Paul's thorn in the flesh mentioned there in Second Corinthians chapter twelve, where he had a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. And he said, for this thing, I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. So. Paul was not healed, and he and, and this physical problem, whatever it was, this thorn in the flesh was not removed, and he had to continue, he said, in infirmity. And so uh, Paul is probably the best example of a faithful Christian who had issues, health issues, that he had to continually deal with. Galatians chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, he tells us of this again in Galatians 4, 4, 13 and 14. You know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first, and my temptation which was in my flesh you despised not nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. And so it is just crazy for us to believe That if we live as we should, we won't have any health problems because we see examples throughout the scriptures of people who are living as they should and they had health problems. Exactly right. But the the, the fact of the matter is, Jacob, that our physical health is not and should not be top priority in our life. Um, 
doing the will of God, serving him now so that we can be in heaven eternally. That's the way we ought to be looking at this. And I think it's the way Paul looked at it in Acts 20, beginning verse 22. He said, Behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesses in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. So Paul, to Paul, his physical well-being was not the top consideration. It wasn't the main thing. It wasn't what he was mostly worried about. What he was really concerned about doing was seeing to it that the gospel was proclaimed and that the message was moved forward. And that that ought to be the way we look at it. In other words, the, I really think that these people have a here and now mentality rather than a hereafter mentality. They want it here and now. Benny Hinn said, I don't want streets of gold in heaven. I want it now. That is the, that is exactly an accurate representation of what these people are teaching. It's about here and now for them instead of hereafter. doesn't require any faith if, uh, you know, God is going to give you all of this stuff now. Why have faith of in heaven if uh, you're going to have the streets of gold now? Let us know your thoughts. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. I'm Greg Gwynn, a host of the Virtual Bible Study. Thanks for joining us for tonight's program. The Virtual Bible Study is presented weekly by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Each week on the Virtual Bible Study, we simply engage in the study of God's Word in an effort to better understand it, better understand how God views us, and better understand what He wants from us in our lives. We're not studying any creeds. We're not studying any books written by men. We're just studying the Bible. And we're trying to study the Bible alone without any of our opinions or wisdom mixed in. We're only interested in what our Creator has revealed to us in his word. We realize that we're fallible and cannot direct our own steps. As a result, what we think or feel doesn't really matter. All that matters is what God has said. So that's what the virtual Bible study is all about. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Thanks again for joining us tonight, and we hope you'll make plans to join us every Thursday night for the virtual Bible study. My name is Roger Toomes, and me and my wife love to listen to the virtual Bible study on Thursday nights. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The Virtual Bible Study. Take it away, guys. And welcome back to the Virtual Bible Study tonight. We're talking about the health and wealth doctrine, the name it, claim it, the prosperity doctrine that we see often, especially in telemark, uh, televangelists who are wanting to get money from gullible people. But it is a common doctrine, I guess, in many areas of the religious world. We want to get your thoughts on that at 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Jacob, I'm seeing indication that we might have email issues tonight, too. So if you have tried to send us an email and and we haven't read it on the air, it may be because we're not getting email delivered accurately either. Uh Use an alternate email address, vbsquestions at gmail.com. We'll yeah. get you through to us tonight, vbsquestions at gmail.com. You might try that if you send in a comment. On yeah, if you send us a tonight. comment and we haven't read it yet, uh, try that one, vbsquestions at gmail.com. All right. Um, well, you know, these people must have some scriptural basis for the argument they're making. And I found a couple verses that they like to use, Jacob. One of them is in the book of Third John. And in Third John, verse 2, 
Uh, I, I know, for instance, that Kenneth Copeland uses this argument. Third John, verse two, beloved. He was writing to Gaius, verse one, the elder and to the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. Now, uh, the argument they're making is here's here's the Apostle John, and he's saying to Gaius, I want you to prosper and be in health. And so they're saying that proves that that's what God wants for us all is health and wealth. And and uh, so that that's one of their principal proof text. I, I don't I just don't have any problem with that. I mean, the, in, in speaking to someone, you you would say you would offer those wishes for them. My wish is for you to be well. My wish is for you to have the things that you need. But that that would be a, uh, a statement that would require a huge leap to reach the conclusion that God promises and guarantees that to every Christian. I, I can understand that, that John, in writing a personal note, we believe it was an inspired note, but nonetheless, a personal note to Gaius would say to him, I hope you're well and I hope that you're prospering. I hope you're not in need. Uh I don't see that proven a point, do you? It's actually focusing on the latter half of the verse and the fact of that their spiritual condition was so fine. He said, I hope that your physical position in life could be as nice as your spiritual position. You're doing so well spiritually. I wish that your health and I wish your wealth were at that same level because uh, they were doing so well spiritually. The focus is on the spiritual, not the physical there. I didn't believe in that verse, Dad. I think that's exactly right. So you might be you might be aware of the fact that that's a verse that's often used by these health and wealth people, but I don't think it proves their case. Another verse, and really in all of the reading I did about this to J. Jacob, the only two verses I could find was that one, Third John verse 2, and John chapter 10 verse 10. In John 10 verse 10, Jesus said, The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Uh, And so they're saying this abundant life is what the Lord wants us to have. Uh, and, And what they'd have to prove from that is that he was talking about here and now and not eternal life. And I really believe that the argument that we'd want to make there is that it is talking about eternal life. Um, uh, the Greek scholar Gordon Fee says the abundant life Jesus talked about here is the same life or eternal life in John's gospel and is the equivalent of the kingdom of God. He, it literally means the life of the age to come. It is the life that God has in and of himself, and it is his gift to his believers. Uh uh, again, this is uh, well. He goes on, but he, he's saying that this that, that the construction of it indicates he's not talking about an abundant life in health and prosperity, but eternal life is what Jesus was talking about when he says, "I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly." Certainly, it would be the the spiritual and not the physical, because if Jesus came that we might have life and have it more abundantly, Paul had a problem with what Jesus had said. Timothy, Trophimus. And so many examples we could look at in the in the scriptures would have people would have had a problem with Jesus because it just didn't work. Jesus says that's what he came for. And if it was physical wealth and health, then Jesus was a failure. And that's what the that's the position the televangelists put Jesus in when they use that verse to support their false doctrine. 
Well, what are we going to, let's kind of tie this all together, Jay. What are we going to do with this? We said it's a health and wealth gospel. It's not the gospel. It's not the gospel that we read about in the scriptures. So what do we do with people who are teaching a gospel that's not the gospel that we read about in the scriptures? Well, in Galatians chapter 1, the apostle Paul said what to do with those who teach another gospel. Galatians chapter 1, beginning verse 6, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ and to another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. Well, this is an, this health and wealth thing is another gospel. It is not the true gospel of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, we are to renounce those who teach it. It's a perversion. Uh, they pervert. It's a perversion of the gospel of Christ. And therefore, uh, these people are accursed for teaching it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, we see some real contradictions with what we should be focusing on versus what uh, this prosperity doctrine teaches us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning of verse 24, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run ye that you may obtain. And every man that striveth striveth for mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means I myself... When I, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Paul is telling us there, Dad, that we're looking for a spiritual crown, not a physical crown, that we keep our physical circumstances under control so that we can be a success spiritually. It's quite the opposite of what the uh, televangelists are teaching us with their prosperity doctrine. Yeah, that's exactly right. And look, look at what Jesus said in Luke chapter 14 at verse 27. He taught the the need of self-denial. In other words, these people are saying, don't deny yourself of anything. You should have everything you want. But Jesus said, whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Skipping down to verse 33, he said, so likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. These people say, you can have anything you want. Jesus said, you've got to give up everything you got. In other words, I've got to be more important than everything else. You know, it is the fact, though, that the Bible very clearly gives us warnings against being rich. The Bible tells us that if we're rich, it's going to be very difficult for us to be where we should be spiritually. And yet this health and wealth prosperity doctrine is focusing on being rich. In the passage you've noted already, First Timothy chapter 6, verses 7 through 11, says we need to have having food and clothing therewith. Let us be content in James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Now compare this with what Benny Hinn said. He wants his gold now, and they want all of these riches. James chapter 5, beginning of verse 1. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields... But you kept back by fraud, cry out, and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. And we see there are numerous examples and teachings against those who want to be rich in this world. And yet the televangelists are telling us very clearly 
that we should be rich. Jesus, on the other hand, says, but woe unto you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Certainly, we've got to make sure that we have our focus on spiritual things, not on physical. Jacob, in Mark chapter 10, we have the story of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and asked him what he should do to have eternal life. Ultimately, Jesus said to him, beholding him, loved him, Mark 10, verse 21, and said to him, one thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and take up the cross and follow me. And he was sad at that saying and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. Now, that was the fellow we often refer to as the rich young ruler. His problem was that he, that he loved his wealth. In the context, then Jesus goes right on to teach his disciples. Jesus looked round about and said unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words, but Jesus answered again and said unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Now, where Jesus said the wealth poses a temptation and a problem. People begin to trust in their wealth. And he says it's a, it, it, it makes it harder. In fact, it makes it nigh unto impossible for them to go to heaven because they ultimately learn to trust in their riches rather than to trust in God. And he said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. We recently in a Bible class here talked about this eye of the needle. I believe he meant literally the eye of a sewing needle. He meant to describe something impossible. Uh uh, because the disciples said, who can then be saved? And Jesus, looking upon them, said, with men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. Jesus was intending to describe an impossibility, a camel going through the eye of a sewing needle, but said it can be so with God, but it's a very difficult thing. Well, lots of glaring contradictions with those who teach this doctrine. We need to be aware of it. And, you know, it just highlights, Dad, the importance of making sure we go to the Bible to verify the things that we believe. People are believing this and sending in their money, sending in what little money they have, maybe sending in their last dollar, Dad, because they believe that if they will do that, that God will send them back millions in return. It's a sad thing. If they just took one look at their Bible, they could see the error of that. And so we, the, the example then for us to learn from is that we need to go back to the Bible and verify everything that we believe because we could believe believe something that's in glaring contradiction with what the Scriptures teach. That's right. And I think also we we wouldn't want to end the lesson tonight without thinking about the reality of our own temptation to trust in riches. We are very prosperous people. We live in the richest time and place in the history of the world. And all of the warnings of the Scripture about putting our trust in wealth and making money a priority and all of that, the, the very many warnings about covetousness and materialism, they are certainly applicable to us, the richest people who've ever lived in the history of the world. Yes, it does. Well, Dad, thank you for your discussion tonight. Thanks, Jacob. Good to be with you on the Virtual Bible Study, and we hope all of our listeners will uh, make it a regular appointment. Uh, we're sorry for some of the technical problems because we couldn't get Jim on the phone, and I've got a good idea, Jacob, that we missed some some emails because it looks here like here at the end we were not receiving email messages so our apologies to those who may have tried to get to us and couldn't here tonight we'll try again and hopefully have better success in the future we hope you'll make plans to join us in the future and that you'll participate in the virtual bible study thank you again for joining us on the program thank you to all of those who participated in the discussion tonight we look forward to talking to you again soon we hope you'll make plans to be back here next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. 
Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.